0: Praise God. Aren't you glad his story continues? It's not a history. It's not something we just look back on and gain some philosophy from. Our God is a living Savior, and today he lives in us. And I believe today God has something to share to each one of our lives. How many came today for for something from God for your life, person? Let me just see your hands. You know, I know we gather for lots of reasons, but I'm convinced every time we gather and every time we come under the teaching of the Word of God, God speaks to us personally, and God reminds us of something he is doing in our lives. Today, we're going to be continuing the story. Last week, we we talked about the resurrection, and we talked about why it is so vital to our understanding of faith today. And what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is we're just going to be continuing on what happened through the early church, in fact, as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit working even today. So if you brought your Bibles, I'd like you to open them, if you would, to the book of Acts. Acts. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Acts chapter 1 and John's Gospel. uh, The last couple of chapters, 20 and 21, they're right there together. And we're going to be talking about uh, really what happened in the lives of the disciples between the time of the resurrection and the time of of Christ ascending back to heaven. So while you're turning there, we're we're going to just share a couple of things and we're going to get in. In fact, let me encourage you, if you didn't bring your Bibles... Bring your Bibles, especially in these next several weeks, we are doing a lot of scripture reading, a lot of walking through the story. I know we spoil everybody here with everything on the screen, but it's good to have a Bible. and Write down it. If you don't have one, we have three Bibles out in the foyer. I know it'll be a blessing to you. Also, I didn't make the announcement last week because it was Easter, but every month we give an update on the first Sunday of the month about what's going on with, uh, with our, our, our moving towards our, our building. And uh, we, we shared that over a year ago, God moved in our heart to, to start paying off our land and get ready to build, and we are excited about that, all the constructions happening around us to our guests. I am, I am amazed you found us today. God bless you through all the barrels and bulldozers and all that's going on around. But, you know, we've been taking time every month, just one Sunday a month, and just sharing where we are. And can I tell you, church, it's so awesome what's, what's been happening. Since we gave that, that challenge and asked God just to, to bless, uh, we, we have reduced our debt on our land by, uh, by over $140,000. In fact, we're down now to just 111000 on the land. 7500 came in last month, and I, and can I tell you guys, God is faithful, and he is working through us, and we're seeing amazing things happening through this. I, I'm looking forward to the day that a crew doesn't get here at 7 a.m. to set up. Can I get a witness of that? And, uh, we have a little more options other than Sunday mornings in a, in a high school, but we are so blessed by this high school, and, um, I tell you, pray for its ministration. They've been good to us, and we never want to forget that. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going we're gonna to dive right in. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, uh, we, we read, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's where we're going to go next Sunday. All right, We're going to go into Acts 2 next Sunday. Verse 6 says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I, every time I read that scripture, I go, thank you, God. We're not the only ones that are clueless sometimes, right? You know, we're not the only ones that misinterpret what you're doing. Even those closest to him still were looking for Christ to come and basically kick out the Romans and establish a earthly kingdom. So he said, Lord, at this time, are you going to finally do that? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you. God, that Lord, what you began, God, hundreds, thousands of years ago, God, you you are carrying out today in the church. I'm thankful, God, today that, Lord, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, God. And, Lord, I thank you, God, because of that, all things are possible, God, to those that believe. And I ask you today, God, to help us. God, open our ears, open our hearts, God. Speak to us, God, and show us once again, God, your mighty power. And, Father, we honor you, God. We serve you. We love you, God. And, Father, we just want to grow closer to you today, God, that, Lord, your light may be reflected through us, God, that others may come to know you as their Savior and Lord. God, we give you praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week was the Super Bowl experience for the church, right? It was was Easter. It was the big celebration of of the resurrection. And I found it so odd that as I would go around town, people would say, hey, pastor, are you doing something special on Easter? Are you doing something special on this Sunday? And I said, you know what? We are doing something special. It's the same thing we do every time we gather throughout the year, and that is we celebrate the resurrected Savior. Because we don't just celebrate him once a year. We recognize that if Christ had not risen from the grave, then we would all, we would all be, be pitied by the world. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the key point of our faith. Without the resurrection, there is no victory over death. There is no salvation. There is no hope. Christianity simply doesn't exist, guys, unless Christ rose from the grave. And as Christians, we remember his death, and we, we celebrate that through communion, and we, we know what Christ did for us on the cross, and we're so thankful. By his wounds, we are healed. By his blood, we are, we are cleansed, right? And we, we celebrate that every Sunday. But we also celebrate resurrection because it's the key not only to eternal life, but it's the key for everyday life as we live it out. So today, what I want to talk about is is what the disciples did, what happened after the resurrection, what took place in those 40 days, and I want us to see the immediate effect it had on those that are closest to to Christ. Now, can I tell you it was hard, because just reading through the the stories of the gospel, it's so hard to to say, I'm going to talk about this and not talk about that, because there were so many amazing events that happened after the resurrection. In fact, I want to encourage you, this week, just kind of an assignment, go to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And go to the end of each one of them and read the stories of what took place after the resurrection. Now this morning what we're going to talk about is really this continuing story. And we're going to talk about the fact that through the resurrection, hope is here. Now we, we talk about it here every Sunday. Hope Church exists for us to what? For us to encounter God, to experience hope. And to engage in mission or to excel in love. We we kind of talk about that because people kind of get freaked out about what mission is. But really our greatest mission is to excel in love. Would you agree that everywhere we go, we are loving people the way God loved us? And the reality of the resurrection is what really made all three of these possible today. But we will see it's also a pattern that the Lord used in restoring his disciples to faith and to hope. And that same pattern continues in our lives today. We have a God that wants us to encounter Him. Did you know that? Our faith is not just a matter of what we read or or what someone has told us. We have a living God who knows us by name, who wants us to encounter Him. We have a God who wants us to discover hope in every aspect of our lives, in our marriages, in our kids, our finances, in our neighborhoods, our schools. And we can experience hope through Him every day. Not, Not a hope that's, I wish for something. But a hope that says, I know my Savior lives. And because he lives, I can face anything and I can excel in anything. And he wants wants us to learn to engage in his mission. So let's look at this this morning from the standpoint of what what was going on in the disciples. And then what would God show us today through that? So what happened during those 40 days? What happened uh, after the resurrection? Last Sunday night, the, the TV series kicked off called AD. Did anybody take time to watch that last Sunday night? Not bad. I always get a little queasy when people start doing biblical stories. Uh, like, have you ever anyone ever seen Noah? I mean, just saying. Not exactly biblical, but uh, interesting. Uh, but I watched it last Sunday night. And one of the things that they really did well is they really pointed out how difficult it was for the disciples after the death of Christ. How difficult it was for them to believe. How difficult it was for them to keep focused on, on the hope they had because their Messiah, the one they had hoped everything would be found in, was dead. When Christ was arrested, when he was tried, he was crucified, it seemed like in one moment their hope disappeared. We look at that and we go, gosh, what, why, why is that? And I honestly believe it had to surprise them. I, I think it had to surprise them that these courageous, faithful men and women, all of a sudden, they, their, their faith and their courage drained away. I think it surprised them that their response, that they would be so quick to turn back to fear and discouragement. But we have to be honest with ourselves, guys, listen. We tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, don't we? We, we kind of run scenarios in our minds, well, I wouldn't do that. You know, Here's what I would say, and here's what I would do, and oh, I would never turn back on Christ. But here's the deal. We weren't there, and we weren't faced with the realities they were faced. We didn't see him die and put in a tomb. We didn't hear the threats of the Roman government. We didn't understand the pressures they were under. But can you just imagine for a moment with me what it was like when the disciples kind of got together after the death of Jesus? I can imagine they would look at each other and they would say, where did you go? Where, where were you at? Well, what-, what did you say when they asked you if you were a follower of Christ, Peter? Well, what- who was there at the cross? I mean, come on, where-, where were we, guys? Can you imagine the shame and the humiliation that they must have felt in that moment? But beyond the humiliation, can you imagine the sense of hopelessness? They hadn't seen it yet. The tomb is not open yet. It is said that you see what people are made of when times get difficult in their lives. You see what people are made of when when life squeezes us. You understand where your faith is. When all of a sudden things are not going the way you thought they ought to go. And guess what? A lot of life doesn't go the way we think it ought to go. Do you understand that? And really it's in those times that our faith is challenged. And we have to go back to the core of our beliefs and say, God... We believe, we know, and we are standing on what we know, God, even if it doesn't make sense, even if we don't feel it in this moment. And yet, that's where they were at. Everything they knew up to that point was taken away. They struggled. They struggled with their faith. They, They questioned. There were doubts that were in their minds. You see, the disciples faced the reality of Jesus being gone. And because of that, they moved into this phase of disappointment, almost discouragement. How could he leave us? How could he abandon us? We're all going to die. I mean, the Romans are just going to come in. They're going to wipe this all out. And we look at that and say, why? Why would they struggle? I mean, they saw the miracles. I can't tell you how many people have told me over the years, well, well Pastor Mike, if I saw the miracles they did, man, I would have no trouble believing, you know? If I saw God do amazing things, I would always be faithful. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> miracles are pretty exciting, aren't they? They're pretty cool to see, but here's the deal. We can all be entertained by miracles, but at the end of the day, it is our faith in the risen Savior that keeps us stable even in the middle of difficult times. You see, when I look at the disciples of Christ, the men and women who followed him closely, you have to remember they were flesh and blood just like us. And that's what flesh and blood does sometimes in the face of of great trials or great disappointment. They They were followers of Jesus just like you and I are today and sometimes they act just like us. Come on, there are times that we believe And there's times that we don't believe. There are times that we're courageous. And there's times that we're fearful. And we act totally opposite of what we know we ought to do depending on the circumstance. But something happened that God still does today that changed everything in their lives. And can I tell you guys, it needs to change our lives also. And that is that they encountered the risen Savior and it changed everything. They encountered Jesus Christ crucified but risen. And everything changed from that point forward. Their grief turned to faith. Their their fear turned to courage. Their unbelief to confidence. Their disappointment to service. Why? Because he came to them. And can I tell you, he's still coming to us today. He's still coming to every one of us today. Why? Because God wants us to know him. He doesn't want us just to know about him. He wants us to know him. And he showed the pattern after the resurrection of what he does in our lives today. That he is a God that still seeks us out. And aren't we glad that he seeks us out? Not a single one of us just woke up one morning and said, you know, I think I choose to follow Jesus. No, God had been coming after our lives and after our lives and drawing us to himself by the work of the Holy Spirit until one day we acknowledge what he had already done for us and we came into that relationship with him. We serve a God who knows us. We serve a God who cares for us. We serve a God who who comes to us because he wants us to know him. See, after the resurrection, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to a lot of people. In fact, we're going to talk about it in a moment. He appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women. He, he appeared to the disciples that were walking down the, the road to Emmaus and had this great conversation where later they were like, man, didn't the word of God burn within us when he was talking? Not knowing that, he, in fact, they were walking with the resurrected Savior. He appeared to the disciples without Thomas, and then again with Thomas. The scripture says that he appeared to over 500 others, and finally, we can read it in the book of Acts. He even appeared to the apostle Paul. In a great encounter that changed a man's life and changed Christianity forever. So while he walked on earth, we shouldn't be surprised that Christ was relational. We shouldn't be surprised that he spent time with people. He was Emmanuel, right? God with us. He ate with people. He, he talked with them. He touched them. He loved them. He valued that personal encounter. And he still offers that to all of us today. I love the, the, the question that we read in Revelation chapter 3 when he was speaking to the church at Laodicea, and he, he kind of gave this, uh, this call to all of us in our, in our house. We have a little picture of, of this worked out right in the entryway of our house in the front door. And that's when he said in Revelation three twenty he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. I'm convinced Jesus was a southerner, right there, aren't you? I mean, food was a big part of his life. It was just I will, I will come in. I will eat with you, and, and I'm going to be at relational God to your life. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that when you encounter the resurrected Savior, our relationships come alive both with Him and with others. I'm so thankful that when we encounter the resurrected Savior, He has a way of healing brokenness that is separated from others. But more importantly, He has a way of healing the brokenness that separates us from God. You see, the disciples lived out the rest of their lives in this incredible relationship, this incredible fellowship. We'll read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 4, in a few weeks. And they did it because Christ gave the model. He gave them the example of how we are to love each other and how we are to work together. Because not only did Jesus reveal himself to the disciples as as the promised Messiah, he came back to remind them he was their friend, and he was their Savior, and he was their Lord. And it all began with an interesting setting. It all began with Mary Magdalene. Look at this in John's Gospel. John chapter 20. I want you to go back there. We're going to read a lot of John's Gospel this morning. But John chapter 20, verse 11. It's interesting the fact that the very first person that the resurrected Savior appeared to was Mary Magdalene. And for us today, we go, well, that's cool, that's great, she was close and all that, but you have to understand, the very fact that he appeared first to a woman was very significant for our future in history. It was very significant in the culture of that day. It's always funny around Easter, I always like to go read all the conspiracy theories that people think about what happened to Jesus, you know? Like, oh, they robbed the grave, they carried him somewhere else, or he swooned, he really didn't die. And, and there's all these kind of crazy conspiracy theories. But if you, if you really follow the, the teaching and in the, in the, in the Gospels, the writing of God's Word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if they were trying to cover up or make this thing kind of a myth or a story, they really messed up from the beginning. Because in their culture, the thought that the most reliable witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ would first come in a woman, was quite foolish. Because in that day, a woman wasn't even allowed to testify in court because they were not seen as reliable. Aren't you glad you live today, ladies? Amen? But, you know, think about that. There is no Jew nor Greek. There is no male nor female. There's no more bond nor servant. When Jesus came, he turned everything upside down, didn't he? And we are grateful for that today. Because he saw the value of every individual and he still sees it today. So he appeared to Mary first. And it was so important because Mary was so grief stricken over the fact that Jesus had died. Pick it up in verse 11 with me. It says Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus, even those closest to him, still struggled with the thought that he would rise from the grave. Surely he wasn't there because someone stole his body. That's what she was saying. But here's Jesus standing by her. She doesn't recognize him. And he asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus loved Mary. He loved Mary just as he loves you and I today. And she was the first to encounter him after his resurrection. And here's what he did. He he did everything in his power to restore her hope in this life and her hope in him. He did everything in his power to to bring her back into relationship of trusting what he had taught her all along. You see, he reminded her of her love, of his love for her and her significance when he called her by name. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus. He's just risen from the grave. This is his big moment, man. He can shine. And what does he do? He humbles himself, and he knows to restore a person. The best way he could do that is to personally bring them back to himself. Can you imagine any more loving words than to hear your own name called out by the resurrected Savior, Mary? Kids are cheering. That's awesome. See, they think I'm preaching good. You guys are all quiet this morning. They're like, this is good stuff, Pastor. Bring it on, right? So he, he brought her back, and he calls her by name. Your he minds her of her significance. Can I tell you guys, some of us need encounters with God to be reminded of the significance we have in his eyes. We just held a little baby a while ago and we talked about unlimited potential and all the possibilities of God. But what happens is over time as we get older and life kind of chips away at us and, and the strife of life kind of binds us up, we stop believing that God sees us sometimes. Can I tell you, he knows every one of us by name this morning. The Bible says he knows the very hairs on our head or the lack thereof. He knows all about us. And because of that, he still calls us by name. When's the last time you heard him speak to you and call you by name? When's the last time you got in his presence and said, Lord, I just want to be with you? You heard him speak to you by name. Because when he does that, he reminds us of our significance, but he also reminds us of our mission. He says, listen, go and tell my disciples. Go and tell the brethren. Go and tell them that I am ascending to my Father, your Father, and to my God, and your God. You see, the the very contact Christ had with Mary lifted her out of grief, and it brought her back to faith. He spoke her name, and he reminded her of her significance, the very first encounter with God. Not long after that, we see the second encounter recorded in John's gospel. And that is that very evening he appeared to the disciples without without Thomas. Pick it up in verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Don't miss that. They're living in fear. They're they're, they're struggling because they think it's all over. But Jesus came and stood among them. And what did he say? He said, peace be with you. How many need the peace of God in your life today? Peace be with you. If he was human, he'd walked in and said, hey, what's wrong with you guys? Didn't I tell you I was going to do this? Come on, Peter. Man, you were the one that saw the most, and yet you denied me. Come on, what's up with that? If he was human, he could have busted them at their lack of faith, but instead he walked in, and the loving nature of our God said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Here's what he did it's that same pattern that we, we, we see today. He came to them, he came personally into their presence. He came to reveal himself. He came to speak peace into their lives. But when he came to speak peace in them, he also commissioned them. He said he he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What he was saying was this. Guys, there's nothing to fear anymore. There's nothing to be afraid of here. I'm I'm not only showing you who I am, but I'm giving you the very power for which I live through. And that very power is what's going to keep you, but also is what's going to enable you to carry out your mission Because you are still called to be fishers of men. You are still called to love the church. Guys, nothing changed in what God had spoken to them. They were still called to carry the word out. Just like we are today, every single one of us have been commissioned by God, haven't we? If we are followers of Christ. He says we are to love people the way he loves us. And we're to tell people about him whenever the chance is. And we're to show them that great love. But to do that, we need that same Holy Spirit working in us empowering us equipping us for our mission so they encountered god their hope was renewed and they went out to mission now i I love the fact that there was another encounter not long after that and that was because there was a disciple missing his name was thomas what's thomas known as that is such a shame isn't it wouldn't you love that we get to heaven like hey there's rahab the prostitute hey rahab and there's thomas the doubter yeah great right I've been to the city in East India where Thomas was bludgeoned to death for carrying out the gospel and reaching out to lost people. He may have doubted, church, but God lifted him up. God raised him up, and God did amazing things in his life. Pick it up in verse 24. See, the other disciples told Thomas about the encounter they had earlier that day, the night before, where Jesus breathed on them. But Thomas just flat wouldn't believe it. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, so time has passed. And Thomas was with them. He, they're hanging out. They're, they're still trying to figure this all out. And through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, what? <laughs> Peace be with you. That, that was his word to them again and again. And then he said to Thomas, "Huh, put your finger here, Thomas. See my hands, reach out, your, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe." And Thomas said to him, "My Lord and my God." And Jesus told him, "Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." Now now did Jesus have to do this? Why why would he take time to reveal himself once again to Thomas? He he could have said, I've already shown myself to the disciples. He missed it. He blew it. I'm sorry. It's over with. But Jesus was carrying out his mission still even after his death. He was discipling. He was building up. He was trying to help them become the men that God had called them to be. And he came to Thomas to move him from his unbelief to restore a confidence in him that ultimately he would carry out his great mission. And his mission was to be an apostle, to go and start the church and build around the world. You see, Jesus continued to show again and again after his death that he was all about the relationship, that he was all about the relationship. Sometimes we wonder where God is, and we struggle with doubts and fears, and we, we, we struggle with, well, God, if, if you were here, then, God, why am I walking through this? But can I tell you, the very struggles that Thomas had are some of the same things you and I have. And if we're not careful, we get all down because the Satan, the enemy of our souls, will say, how dare you doubt and begin to push us down. But can I tell you something? It's okay as long as we take our doubts to God. It's okay as long as our doubts drive us to him and not away from him. There are times we go through things in life that don't make sense. Would you agree with that? There are times I've had to do things as a pastor I don't get. I I don't get the time I had to bury someone's child. I don't get that. And I had all the right words to say and the smile and the hugs and all that, but I got in my car. I'm like, come on, God, what's up? I don't get that. See, God's not afraid of any doubts or any fears we have. He just wants those to draw us to Him and not push us away from Him. He wants that to draw us to that place where we say, God, I don't understand. Help me. Help my unbelief. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're all faced with that at times. It doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense a lot of life but you know what he didn't tell us this life was going to make sense he said that in it we are going to have some things that are going to cause us to wonder but he promised us it's okay he's already overcome everything in this world and if we follow him we serve him we love him we we keep our hearts and our minds on him we walk in that peace even when we don't understand i think of all the stories of after the death and resurrection of Christ that gripped my life. I think the story of Thomas does so almost more than anything else. Because as a man, as a human, there are times where you just go, God, I know what your word says. I know what you promise. I know what happens. I've seen miracles, God. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen seen people get up and walk that didn't be walking, God. I've seen these things. But God, there's other things I haven't seen yet. And I struggle with that. I struggle as your pastor when I pray for you and I know you're holding on to hope and sometimes it doesn't seem to be happening in the timing we want. I struggle sometimes when we pray for healing and we don't see it, but yet it doesn't deter my faith. Why? Because I keep going back to him. I keep going back to him. And here's what he does. He encounters me. He comes and speaks my name. He comes and ministers to my life, and he reminds me I am his. And the things I don't understand, he's got covered anyway. And one day we will know, we will understand, but it really won't matter because we're going to be with him, and God is going to make all things right. You see, our hope is not in this life, guys. If our hope is only in this life, then good luck, right? Let's go eat chicken and go home. Now, we are hopeful. And we see amazing things. But I'm telling you guys, we need to keep our eyes on him now more than ever. We need to keep our eyes on what God is doing, not what the government's doing, not what, not what businesses are doing, not what the economy is doing, not what the church is doing. We need to keep our eyes on God. And when we doubt, take those doubts and say, God, I'm not going to be hypocritical about these. I don't understand. And there's times he will enlighten us. There's times he will speak to us. But there's other times he just leaves it there. And it causes me to draw to him and say, God, I, I may not understand, but I'm going to trust you. You see, God was invested in Thomas's life. And again and again, he came back and he wanted to prove the reality of his resurrection because Thomas needed evidence to fulfill his calling in this life. Even though, even though the Lord blessed us that don't get to see, he still loved Thomas enough that he would restore him and bring back his confidence to life. There, there's one last story I want us to see this morning. It's found in chapter 21 beginning in verse 15, because encountering the resurrected Savior takes us from grief to faith, like it did with Mary. It restores us to our mission. It takes us from fear to courage, like it did with the disciples when He appeared to them. It takes us from doubting to confidence when God appears to our lives. But it also does something that I think is so vital to all of us today, and that is when we encounter the resurrected Savior, it leads to restored lives and restored ministry in us. You know, we're we're talking about Peter, right? In chapter 21, verse 15, Peter, probably the most relatable disciple there is to all of us because he was so much like us. But there was something undone. There was something undone in Peter's life. The very one that said to Jesus, I will die with you. Though the others can run off and leave you, I will never forsake you. And yet Peter was the one that denied Christ three times to those around him. And what does Christ do? He sets up Peter for another encounter. Chapter 21, verse 15 says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Now understand, this is public, all right? He's sitting around with the other disciples. They had just come come through a great miraculous catch of fish. Uh, They'd gone out fishing. They were still struggling with what to do now that Jesus died. And, And they're sitting around eating fish that Jesus prepared for them. And everybody's there. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, when the Lord's repeating himself to us, guess what? He's wanting us to get something, right? So for a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, the last time Jesus had spoken to to Peter, he actually spoke to him a rebuke. If you remember the story, back in the Garden of Gethsemane when they were coming to capture Jesus and haul him off and crucify him, uh, Peter did probably what any one of us would have done if we were in that setting, Peter thought, you know, you're not touching my, savior. You're not touching my Messiah. And, and he got up all bowed up. And when they came to, grab, came to grab Jesus, he whipped out his sword, and he took off the ear uh, of one of the servants there. And Jesus had to rebuke him. And John's Gospel, he said, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father's given me? In other words, what he's saying, Peter, get out of the way. <laughs> Peter, this is going to happen whether you're here or not you got to understand, I came to this earth not to be your buddy. I came to this earth to be your Savior. I came to this earth not to kick out the Romans, but to kick out the power of sin and death and hell. He said, put it away. So the last words Peter had heard from our Savior was a rebuke. And now we see through the story that Peter, when he gave the opportunity that he could have, he could have acknowledged Christ, he denied him three times. It had been so easy for us to, if we wrote the story. just, Just put Peter out of it, right? I'm sorry, failure, he couldn't handle the pressure, whatever you want to say, let's just put him aside. Surely there's someone else to raise up. But Christ comes to Peter after the resurrection, but he comes to him in a familiar place. He comes to him near the sea. He comes to him back when he was fishing. It was the very place that the Lord had spoken to Peter years back when he said, from now on, you will fish for people. It was an audacious place of faith. It's a place where Peter once walked on water. And here he is, outcast, discouraged. Here Jesus comes to him right in that place, and he sits down with him. He right in front of everybody else, and he leads him into these statements. He leads him into these questions three times: Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know, I have always wondered sometimes. You know, God wasn't one enough. You know, you let the poor man off the hook here, right? But I think it was significant for Peter to have the opportunity to make up to God. Those three times he denied him. I think it was significant to Peter to have an open confession of his own doubt, his own sin. You know, guys, sometimes we have to recognize that, that when there are things that are public, they need to be dealt with publicly. Now, when they're private, we deal with them privately, but God, through Christ, was setting Peter up to fulfill his commission on Peter's life. Because remember, Peter was one that Jesus said, upon this rock, Matthew 16, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what did Jesus do? He pursued Peter. He didn't let him go. Can I tell you today that God is not going to let you go? Can I tell you today that you may go through periods where it seems much easier to go with the flow of the world and and, and get away from God and kind of push him away. But can I tell you something? He never stops coming after us. He never stops wooing us to himself. We serve a tenacious God. We serve a God who does not give up on those who've received him. Some of you parents need to hear this today. God does not give up on your children God does not give up on your spouse. God does not give up on your family that you love. He continues to pursue them. Why? Because he values us. And he wants us to encounter him and discover hope so we will be on his mission. So he came to Peter. He pursued him. He invited Peter to this conversation. And I'm so glad the conversation was about the main thing, and that was about love. You see, Jesus restored Peter. He restored Peter. And he restored him to not only his life with Christ, but restored him to his assignments. You know, restored intimacy after failure is powerful. Put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. How many times have we felt God? (laughs) I'm so glad I don't get to see that record for me. How many times have we denied God? When we had the chance to witness. How many times have we just, for whatever reason, just said, Ah, we're going to do life our way. And yet we're so hard on Peter sometimes. And we're like, how could he have done that? But I'm so glad the story didn't end with Peter's denial. It came back to this wonderful restoration. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about restoration. It's all about bringing us back to the place God wants us to be in relationship with him. It's all about bringing us back to that place of mission that God created us for. It's all about coming back and reminding ourselves that he didn't die on the cross for our sins so that we can just have a nice, easy life and raise good kids and some have a nice retirement someday. He died on the cross for our sins, that our lives would be resurrected to new life with him, that he would fill us with the Holy Spirit and he'd say, now, go, go and be my witnesses. Go and tell somebody about me. Go and tell somebody about me. In Acts 1-4, there was that final, that final command he gave. Them. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard me speak about. There's some important things there I want us to close on. See, the restoring remarks of our Savior, the restoring remarks to Peter were all about this. They were all about loving people. They were all about loving people the way God loves us. They were all about staying together in unity. He says, you go and wait in Jerusalem. They were were taught to wait. Because there was a power God had for their lives. Church, can I tell you, he's still calling us to wait today. He's still calling us to wait on him. He's still calling us to put ourselves in that position, in that place, where there may be another encounter with our God. Another encounter of power we will fill us the Holy Spirit so we may trust Him, we may be His witnesses, and we may tell the world and turn the world upside down once again. But to do that, we've got to stay focused on the promise of hope. We've got to stay focused on the promise God has given us. Could it be that in this season of our lives, when we look at the world around us, and we follow the news, and we follow all the events that are all around us, instead of becoming the angry church, we become the church that loves people the way God loves them. We become the church that continues to shine light in humility and grace. We become the church. I'm not talking about the little, I'm talking about Hope Church. I'm talking about the church in the world. We become the church that remembers we were forgiven. Let's find ways to forgive others, amen? But the only way it works is if we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, coming from the resurrection of our Savior, we encounter God once again. We encounter him once again and say, God, we want to be with you. He came to them. He comes to us. And he invites us to come to him, but he also commands us to go where he is. Do you want to encounter God? Go where he is. Where is he? Where two or three are gathering his name, he said, there I am in the midst of them. Where is he? Where people are worshiping God, there he is, enthroned in their presence. Where is he? He's where the broken and the bruised and the hurting and the cast outs are. Where is He? You see, if we encounter God once again, we need to go where He is. And we need to have our hope renewed and we have that mission that He's called us to do. We need to have that burned in our hearts that we may follow Him. I want to close with one last scripture this morning. I want to pray over us. It's probably one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture. For me as a pastor, and it's found in Second Corinthians chapter four and several verses. I'm just kind of mash them together here for you this morning, but it presents something that we need to see, and that is that every day, every day we are frail and we are weak in ourselves. But every day, because of the resurrected life in Christ, we have hope that's overpowering. In Second Corinthians chapter four, it says this: "But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us." We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Guys, that's the promise of the resurrection. It's not a story to just teach our kids. We need to live in that every day. And every day we need to look to God and say, God, let the same spirit, let the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Lord, let me recognize it dwells in me. And that's my prayer for us today. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to enter into a time of response before the Lord. But right now, as with, with you're standing, just with, take a moment just to bow your head. And let, let's prepare ourselves to respond. I, I know there's a lot of story, a lot of narrative this morning. But I want you right now just to quiet yourself, and I want you to hear very clearly that God wants you to encounter Him. Maybe you're here this morning, and the thought of encountering God scares you. Maybe you're not in relationship with Him. The thought of encountering God makes you want to run because of the sin in your life, But can I tell you something that maybe no one's ever shared with you before? God's God's running to you, not not to punish you for your sin. He already already did that on the cross. It's already been done. He's running to you because He wants to restore you in relationship to Him that sin messed up. He wants to forgive you and cleanse you, make you new. And I want you to hear this morning, that that encounter is something you can choose to have by having faith. Faith is just believing, maybe what you can't even see, but trusting that it's real. And that is coming to that point of saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And I believe that he rose again on the third day. Like the Bible says, like 500 witnesses attested to. And I want to make him my Lord. That faith statement, that's where salvation comes into your life. And that's where life really begins because He has promised to cleanse you. He's promised to forgive you. He's promised to restore you. And God is not a man that He should lie. He fulfills every one of His promises. And if that's you this morning, we're going to pray in just a moment. I want to encourage you. Just proclaim your faith to the Lord. Just begin to speak it to Him. There's no unique, special little prayer you've got to memorize. and We're, we're not going to call you down to the front just to put you on parade. We want you right where you are. To say, Lord, I need you. I believe in you Be my Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here and you're one that is following Christ, and maybe your walk with Him feels dry or alone or empty right now. The Bible says this if we draw near to God, He draws near to us. Maybe even sitting back like I have done in the past, just with your arms open, going, All right, God, you know where I am. Come and do what you're going to do. The Bible says this when we take that step. when we draw near, he draws near to us. My prayer over us this morning is that, Father, help us to draw near, God. God, help us all, Father, to take that step toward you this morning, God. God, we celebrate the resurrection. God, we're so thankful. It's so awesome to think you would do that for us. But Lord, in our state, in our, our faith, in our, in our steady walk with you right now, God, God, help us to draw near. God, let these weeks ahead of us, God, God, not not be weeks where we just kind of lay back, God, in the spring and just take, God, let us draw near to you. God, in prayer. Let us draw near to you in community, God. Let us engage in groups, God. Let us draw near to you in worship, God. Let us prioritize our time. God, let us do so with an understanding, God, that you want to reveal your power in us. And God, I pray you pour out your spirit over us, God. I pray, God, you empower your people for works of service for ministry, God. And I pray that during this response time today, God, Father, we would just encounter once again not only your saving grace, but your great power of love for us. So God, help us. Help us today. In this moment, our band is gonna lead us in a, a song of encouragement. I invite you just to enter in and sing. Let it minister your heart. But then I'm gonna ask you to respond to the word today. And hope we ask every week two questions for you to answer. What is God saying to me? And What am I willing to do with that? What am I going to do about that? And we invite you to step out and respond to God in several ways. We have a communion station back by the cross. Maybe you just need to go and pray. I'm going to ask Scott and Kathy Miller, two of our ministers, to be back there by the cross to pray with you. Or maybe you came today and there's a great need in your life. You need to be prayed for for healing or brokenness or something that you're dealing with. I'm going to ask one of our our pastors, David and Selena Williams, to come to my right and be ready to to pray for you. And then we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to remember all that He did for us. And then we're going to give. And we're going to say, God, thank you. You're faithful to us. Whatever your response is today, come with expectation that God wants you to encounter Him. Father, God, I pray you help us, God, to respond to you today, God. God, let us be, Lord, transparent with you in these moments, God. And Father, let us be changed forevermore, God, just as the disciples did when they encountered you. God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.